this is a female-only question. And I'd like your answer. What does the Lord your God require of you? Anyone? What was that? I, I heard it mumbled. What was it? Say it loud. Okay. All right. Not, not bad, but it's not what I'm looking for yet. There's someone who know exactly, someone knows exactly what I'm talking about. What does your Lord, your God require of you? To do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Why am I only asking the women that question? It's the gems verse. So gems is the ministry of our church for uh, young girls, and at gems group, uh, led by a couple of fabulous leaders, they they um, talk about what it is that that they're about as gems, and their theme verse is from the book of Micah, and that theme verse from Micah says this: What does the Lord your God require of you? And the answer is to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the theme verse of gems. And this morning, in this whole series, what I want to think about is what does it mean to be a Micah, or in a sense, a gem, in a world that is about the judges. And judges, if you know that book in the Old Testament, it's a book that the recurring phrase over and over again is, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that certainly defines much of what our culture is about. Our culture is a judge's world in many ways. Not always, but many ways. And for us to ask the question, as followers of Jesus Christ, what is it that we are going to do to be Micah to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God in a world where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes? And so this, that's what the series is about. And this morning, we want to ask the question, what is a disciple? And it was interesting, as I was thinking about this series, having different conversations with people, I don't remember who said it to me. Um, someone said, well, maybe we need to start by asking the question, what is a disciple? And, and it's striking to me because we have a mission and a vision statement. Does anybody know what our mission statement is? We exist to, I know at least one person knows it. All right, the one person who knows it, say it loud. Make disciples put God's love on display. Thank you. And the reason that he knows it is he was a significant part of the work of making it. So, to make disciples. So, it's a key part of our mission is to make disciples. Well, if we're going to make disciples, we should probably know what a disciple is, right? And that's sort of one of those Christian ease words. Being a disciple is a Christian ease word, meaning that oftentimes people don't know or understand if they're not part of the church or haven't done some learning about what a disciple is. They're not even sure what it is. If you were to say to somebody, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, they, they may just think, oh, you, you know, you go to church. But that's not what being a disciple is. A disciple is a much broader thing, a much bigger thing that needs to be understood by people who are disciples so that we can live into that. And in order to understand that more fully, we're going to read from the book of John, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20 through 36. 
And we're going to there learn what Jesus was saying to his disciples about what it means to follow him. And we're going to begin at verse 20 of John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, Jesus begins this teaching with his disciples by beginning to tell them some of the work that is going to be ahead for them. And some of the work that is going to be ahead for them and the things that he is specifically highlighting are challenging things. But as we look at that part of the text, it may not be really clear. Okay, what is it that he's meaning? One of the things that it's abundantly clear that he's meaning is that he's calling them to sacrifice. And if we look at that, that part of uh, the text, verse 24, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? What does it do? It dies. Unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is calling his disciples to get into a mindset of sacrifice. There will be a dying to being a disciple, to being someone who follows Jesus. And there's no way around that. You don't be a disciple and not sacrifice something Jesus is saying. And if we look specifically at verse 25, what does it say? It says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does that mean? What does that mean for us in a world that we live in? What does it mean? How do we think about that I hate this life? Does anyone hate their life? And I hope that's not a question that you're saying, well, yeah, my life's horrible because of A, B, C, and D. But hate the life in, in, hate your life in a biblical sense of the word. How do we think about that? Here's what I think is important for us to understand. That we, our primary investment in life is not in the things of this world. We see elsewhere that Jesus teaches them to store up their treasures Where? In heaven. Why? Because what's here gets destroyed by moth and rust. He's saying to them, don't put your primary investment into all the things of this world, which is striking because when I look at my life, I know 95% of my life sometimes certainly seems to be invested in this world, doesn't it? I work hard in order to be able to pay a mortgage, to feed my children, to have a good place, a a nice home, to fuel my car so I can drive around, to do the things that I need to do. I save up a retirement fund. 
I, I certainly invest in, in pleasure activities with friends and with family for the purpose of enjoying this life. And yet the command of God here in this text of John 12 is to hate this life. And to hate is a pretty strong word, isn't it? He doesn't say, don't invest in it. He doesn't say here, don't put your focus on it. He doesn't say here that when you have time, you can invest. No, he says, hate it. That's a challenge to us. Because for us, to be followers of Jesus mean, means we die more and more to the power of this world. And I'll tell you, anybody want to guess when I see that, that sort of processing, that mental processing happening the most? Does anybody want to know where that happens? It happens on deathbeds. That's where it happens. I have sat with more people who have been in the process of dying and not a one of them has said to me, boy, I really wish I had bought a bigger television. There's not a one of them who says to me, boy, I wish that I would have done this thing for this world's sake or this thing for this world's sake. They always say things like, I wish I would have loved more. I wish I would have cared more. I wish I would have served more. I wish I would have followed Jesus more, been more of a disciple. Without exception, I have never heard anyone say anything else. But what's interesting is it takes death for us to come to that point, doesn't it? And the challenge for us this morning is to say, why wait? Why wait? For us to put behind us the things of this world more and more. To invest in the things of eternity. To invest in loving others with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. To putting others before ourselves. One of the things, our benevolent fund is a healthy fund. God be praised. Many of you have a heart for it. We should have, in that fund, hundreds of thousands of dollars. For the simple reason that we want to give more. And that's one thing where we can say to this world, hey, I want nothing to do with you. I don't need that money. I don't need that thing that I would buy with that money. I'm going to give it so that more people can be invested in with the grace and the love and, and the generosity of the people of Jesus Christ in such a way that their lives might be changed. For us to continue to have that mindset in how we give, in how we serve, and how we welcome others generously into our community, and how we go to others in order to share the gospel and the truth with them. What are you and I willing to give up in order to serve Christ? I've just got some other words to say about that in a moment. First, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. Again, this is Jesus saying, speaking again. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. So here is the one that we carry as a namesake, if you call yourself a Christian, then you're carrying the namesake of Christ. 
And here he is saying this, these words. He's saying, should I try to save myself from this sacrifice? Should I try to save myself from doing the hard thing that God has called me to do? Should I save myself from the difficult challenge of being one who serves my father? And he says, no, I'm not going to. You and I carry the name Christian. And here is the one whom, whose name we carry, who's living and making the choice in the challenging circumstances that he's facing. He's saying, I'm not going to take the easy way out. How often do we take the easy way out? I know I do. Friends, there have been times when I have ignored stuff because it would be harder to give it attention. I have ignored people at times. There are times, and I, I, I'll confess it, when I have avoided stuff because it is hard to do some of those things because it involves people who are hard people. How many of you have avoided hard people things? By the way, all of you put your hands up, otherwise you're a big fat liar. <laughs> we all have. We all have avoided that thing, that conversation. We all have avoided that, that challenging circumstance. We have ignored the phone call. We've said the email didn't come. It went to, how many of you have used the excuse, the email went to my spam box? Anyone? Anyone willing to admit that? Some of you done it, I know you have. We're willing to ignore the hard things that God sometimes calls us to because it's easier to go the other route. And yet God still continues to call us to those things. And if you and I are going, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, I am here to guarantee you that you have hard things ahead. I am here to, to assure you that in 2018, you're going to have moments when you want to avoid, but you know God has called you to do that hard thing, to love that person, have that conversation, give up that thing so that you can give financially to this group, organization, cause, whatever. That's part of what it means to be a disciple. And here's the challenge, and I'll tell you the challenge. Every single one of you who is an American citizen, you live in a culture that screams at you, don't do that. Don't be a disciple. Look out for number one. Pursue pleasure. Anesthetize yourself from the pain around you. Find ways to make yourself happy that should be your primary cause instead of doing the hard things that call you to sacrifice. You know how I know this? Think, think about the things we, think about the, the big things that we invest in as a culture. Let me just talk about um, two counties, all right? There's two massive expenditures that I know of and I'm aware of in LA County and Orange County. One I was at yesterday. In Orange County, I went to something called the Great Park. Anyone ever been to the Great Park in Irvine? It's an incredible park. I'm just telling you, 
If you are a parent with kids who are in sports, if you are a person who likes wide open green spaces, if you are a person who likes taking little hikes on trails the, through different things, if you are a person who just likes, likes like just having a wonderful, nice afternoon in some place, go to the Great Park in Irvine. Because they have, and I'm not kidding you, invested probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 million in a park. There is, I last count I had, because they keep on building new ones, 15 lit turf soccer fields, which is really like utopia for my family, I'm just telling you. And there's now, I just saw it yesterday, 15 baseball and softball fields. Gilberts, you're going to be going to the Great Park of Irvine. I'm just telling you right, right now. You're going to be going there. They're going to have tournaments there. They're going to have stuff there. It's just, lackey, lackeys are, oh, you guys are going there like, like three times a week. It's just going to happen. It's an incredible park. They've invested so much money. $500 million. But in LA County, they've topped that. How many of you is a Rams fan or a Chargers fan? Lord have mercy on you, Mario. May God bless your very soul. What are they building right now in LA County? Brand new stadium. Anybody know how much it costs? Three billion dollars. Billion. Billion. For what? Three hours on a Sunday. We are investing as a culture three and a half billion dollars in pleasure and recreation. Do we still have a poverty issue in this country? Do we have homeless issues in this country? Do we have a lack of food in this country? And here we are investing three and a half billion dollars. Now be a disciple in a culture that says that. Try to stand against that sort of power. Where the investment that our culture is constantly saying needs to be made is in pleasure, recreation, and in making nice things. And Jesus here is calling you to die and hate that stuff because there's better stuff for you. And that's, what's being, that's what being a disciple is. And that's why this is so hard, friends. So if our mission is to make disciples who put God's love on display to the world, we are asking you to do really hard things in a world that has a set of values that will come in contact with that over and over and over again. So for you and I to go out and die and sacrifice is an enormous challenge that we face. For the simple fact, you live in America. See, it's so interesting. You see international news, parts of Africa, parts of South America, Central America, parts of Asia, where they're not investing $3 billion in a three-hour activity on a Sunday afternoon. They would, they would love to have $3 billion to invest in anything but that. 
being an American and being a disciple is a hard thing. The passage continues, verse 30. Jesus says, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. That voice of God thundering, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Now is the time for judgment in this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Does anyone read that and go, okay, what does that mean? I don't really get it. Anybody? Because that's the first time I read it. I, I thought that. I, like, what does that mean? Does that mean that Satan, because Jesus, Jesus' ministry in, in human form, in his purely human, well, I shouldn't say purely human form, in his incarnational form ended at the crucifixion. Now we're in a different reality. So if Jesus did that work, is Satan gone? Do I not have to worry about Satan? You know, should I be with Jesus? You know, what, what is Jesus really saying here? And there's this phrase that we need to understand if we're going to be disciples. It's this phrase that says we are in the already, but what's the rest of it? Not yet. An already, but not yet reality. Already, friends, Christ has victory in Jesus Christ. Or God has victory in Jesus Christ. That Satan's power is gone. Satan doesn't have power to condemn those who know the grace of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have that power. And if you are a follower, if you are a person who believes and knows the grace of Jesus Christ, and you hear Satan telling you you are unworthy, then you can say to Satan, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. You have no power over me. Because he doesn't. Hear that. Okay, that power has been taken away. Jesus fulfilled the reality of banishing the power of the prince of this world. He took Satan's power away. And you and I already do live with Jesus. Remember that passage that we talked about before where our present reality is that we are already in God's presence and glory. We are, what's that phrase? United with Christ. One with Christ. We are together with Christ. That already is, it's, it is a reality. But the problem is, is it's not yet fulfilled in its completion. You and I are not yet in the presence of the living God for all eternity without Satan's influence. Not his ability to condemn, but without his influence. And we see that influence all around us. And we hear it and we, we experience it in our own lives. You and I are still going to be tempted. But when we are disciples, disciples are followers, that's part of the definition of the word disciple. You are a follower of Jesus. That means you're following Jesus and not the powers of this world. So when Jesus is saying, hate this world, he's saying, hate all that stuff that is going to take you away from me and follow me. Be my disciple. Follow me and me only. He's describing spiritual realities. Not physical realities. Spiritual realities for disciples. Because they are not yet physical realities. We have a foot in both worlds. The already but not yet. But the ultimate truth doesn't change. Let's close the passage. Verse 34. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. 
Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and he hid himself from, which is an interesting phrase. I I wonder what that means. Like, did he just all of a sudden say, okay, bye, take off and then go find a place in the woods? I'm curious about that, if, if that was like supernatural power that he used. But a question is asked here of Jesus. Who is this son of man? And he's affirming the answer to the question, I am. It's me. I am that person that you're seeking, and I am light to you. It's dark in the world around you. I am light. Walk in the light. And he says, walk in the light while you can. And certainly he's alluding to the fact that he will be crucified and incarnationally leave the world. But he's also saying to them, Be with me while you can, and don't be in the darkness. And that's interesting, right? Because after Pentecost, what happens with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes and does what to you? It comes and it dwells in you. So if you have the light, then you're not in the darkness. But you need to have the light. And you need to listen to the light. And you need to walk with the light. So for us to be disciples who walk with the light and not the darkness around us, it means that we let those threads, and it's just like if if you've ever tried to tie up something, you're not going to tie it up with like one little uh, thread of of stuff. But if you tie it with like 5,000, it actually will probably be tied and not broken. For us to have more threads that are connected more deeply to Jesus than we do with this world and cut more of those threads. Friends, maybe 2018 is the year for you to let go of some stuff. Maybe it's time to let go of some of those expensive things and to give to the kingdom. Maybe it's time to give up more time that you would spend on your hobbies or activities or this thing or that thing. Certainly things like app games on your phone, social media, different things that we pursue there to give up those things and pursue the things of God and the things of this kingdom. To cut more and more threads and every time say, I hate you. I don't want that stuff. I want to be with the light. I don't want the darkness. The light is the best life for me. The darkness is not. I want to move towards light and life. He is asking his disciples to have faith in him. And in this world, that's hard, friends. Because the world gives us other messages. Take care of yourself. Save for yourself. Buy for yourself. Experience it yourself. Instead of give up yourself. Die to yourself. Take up your cross to Jesus. And for disciples to seek and really, really follow The light, that's a disciple's focus. Really, really follow it. Really, really following it doesn't mean you just show up in church on Sunday. Really, really following the light doesn't mean that you have a Bible in your house. Really, really following the light doesn't mean that you share your devotion a day on Instagram. Really, really following the light means... You die. 
You sacrifice. You give up. Not just because it's good to do those things, but because by doing that, in giving yourself to Christ, you're seeking the things that are eternal, not temporary. What does that mean this week? Well, maybe it means that some of those things that you have avoided because they're hard, that you take them on. Maybe it's time to make that phone call. Maybe it's time to have that conversation. Maybe it's time to delete that thing from your phone or your computer or your tablet. Maybe it's time this week, if you are going to walk in the light, to put away the things of this world that have their hold. And they have their hold on us, friends. They do. Put, our, put aside those things to invest more. We, we make sure we invest in some things. We invest in, in, in you know, a, a great retirement fund or we invest in this thing that we want or we invest in the nice clothes or we invest in this nice activity that we want to be a part of. Instead, investing in the kingdom. Maybe that means you write another check this week to the benevolent fund. Maybe it means this week you, you, know, you support um, Revive PE. Olivia, where people are being shown the love of Christ through physical education. Maybe it's MCCA. Maybe it's something where you just say, you know, the God is blessing the ministry of this church and we want to give to the, the funds of this church, whatever that is. But it's this week, friends, if we're going to be a disciple, is a week of dying. It's a week of sacrifice. And we hear that and that's not good marketing, Right? What did pastor tell you to do this week? Die. That was probably a great sermon. If it were just me, it might be a problem. But it's not me asking us to die. It's Christ himself. But what the beauty of the whole thing is, is that when we die and when we give up, what we get in return is life. The fullness of life. And those people that I have been with them on their road to death, I've sat with them and I've talked with them about what is at the end. Those people that have invested in the kingdom and invested in the things of love and grace so much it's easy for them to say, oh, it's been good. It's been so very, very good. Let's not wait until that time to be able to answer the question in that way. Would you pray with me? Father, you have called us to do hard things. And there's no way around that. You've called us to die. You've called us to sacrifice. You've called us to give up ourselves, to give up our own agenda, to give up our own ideas, and to follow you and seek first the kingdom, to not spend so much time on the things of this world, but instead to put our primary focus on who you are and what you call us to be a part of.
what you're doing in your kingdom, what you're doing around us, that we can experience more of your love and your grace as we share, put your love on display to people around us and experience a deeper sense of life and grace. And we can be a means, Lord, of bringing people to Jesus, of being an encouragement, of being disciplers of others. Share with them more about who you are. Lord, may our investment this week be in that death, that beautiful, beautiful death that brings so much more life. That's work that you and you alone can do in us. We pray that you do it today. In Christ we pray, amen.